This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We have Beth Good in the studio today from Resource Royalty. You're at the Mark Conference. It's what brought you down to Houston from DFW. Sounds like it was a good time. Um, I'm assuming you met some really good people there. We did. It was well attended. I think they said the attendance um, has increased steadily since COVID, and this maybe was one of the, the best ones since the thing started about five years ago. Yeah, I heard there's yeah. about 700 people there, so um, which is impressive because most events in the energy industry are actually having declining attendance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. congrats to uh, the Mark event for putting on um, a successful time for everyone. So, Beth, real quick to get this episode started, tell me real quick, what is it that Resource Royalties does? Yes. So, basically, think of us as a real estate play. We aggregate a portfolio of real estate properties. It just so happens that that these properties are flush with oil and gas reserves under the ground. Um, we offer those to the retail investor in a Reg D private placement offering. Okay. And we've been doing this since 2011. Wow, since 2011. So is it fair to say that, you know, there's other crowd crowdfunding platforms out there like in commercial real estate like Cadre in Crowd Street or maybe it's Yield Street. I don't remember. I may okay. be butchering the names here. But is it kind of similar um, in terms of being able to bring in um, individual private investors into a, are y'all fractionalizing these assets? Yes. Okay. So, you know, there's a minimum uh, check size involved to where it's like, hey, um, you know, I'm high net worth individual or I have some discretionary income and I want to invest in oil and gas royalties and I can, um, you know, cut a small check and get, get some exposure. You're spot on. Um, just a little bit more nuance to it. We do operate in the broker dealer world. Yeah. So it has to be an accredited investor. Yeah. There is a minimum uh, dollar amount for that investment. So we we don't we don't actually um, have a platform like a crowd yeah. funding one of those. Yeah. But there are broker dealer platforms out there, and mm-hmm. we're part of that. Got you. So uh, you either come to us through an investment manager, advisor, yeah. or through one of the platforms that are a uh, broker dealer. Got you. Yep. So y'all probably interface a lot with uh, RIAs and wealth yes, managers exactly. and those types. Awesome. Yep. Um, so when, you know, I think this is actually really interesting because there's been this, um, you know, y'all have been doing this since 2011, but over the last few years, there's been this dislocation in capital and you have um, EMPs that were capital starved yeah, this entire ESG movement that was causing a divestment from institutional funds. And then you probably had people and family offices all over the world that wanted exposure to oil and gas. And um, maybe they didn't want to go through public markets or trading futures. They wanted direct commodity exposure or they didn't want people knowing <laughs> that they were investing in these things. Have y'all seen, has the last two years been materially different for y'all's business in the last decade? I would say it even started um, late 2018. I think the, I think politically, you know, ESG started. We had the whole renewable uh, discussion start. We had the election start. So there were so much um, headlines that was really negative with mm-hmm. regard to fossil fuel, petroleum products, and fill in the blank there. That that I think late 2018, and I and the other part of that is too. I think 
philosophically, um, a lot of the operators change their strategy. And we started hearing a lot of discussion about free cash flow. We're going to increase dividends. We're going to buy back stock. Oh, by the way, so if we're putting cash over here, you know, this bucket over here is going to decrease. So capital expenditures mm-hmm. um, started decreasing. So, and then the next thing that was on the horizon was a pandemic. So between between the news headlines and the pandemic, um, yeah, business almost came to a screeching halt in I would say twenty twenty mid mid twenty twenty. One of the things we track is rig count. We saw the rig counts decline. You know, commodity prices. We had negative oil prices one day back in May. What, yeah. uh, what year that was? Twenty twenty one. So yeah, we've we've definitely seen the business change. Now the flip side of that is that. Uh, 2022 is our best year ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to your point, I think that's because people have figured out that all of the negative PR, whatever mm-hmm. you call it, um, fossil fuels are going to be here longer than next five years. And yeah, it's funny how quick the narrative shifted. Yeah. I mean, you know, 2020, remember, you know, negative oil prices, everyone thought oil and gas was dead. That's it. And yeah. You know, you fast forward two years later and everyone understands like, oh, it's actually a lot more complex than what we thought. And there's actually good returns. You know, I think it was easy for a lot of institutional funds to divest, um, you know, endowment funds to divest when they had pressure from their student bodies. It's easy to divest when the oil and gas industry is not making money. But when you get in a high commodity price environment and assets do start generating free cash flow, then it becomes much harder to ignore and yeah. um, not want exposure to that. And so um, it's just very uh, intriguing to see how fast that flipped. That flipped. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for us. So what's, for- uh, what's your background? How did, how did you get started with this and um, kind of tell me about yourself a little bit? Sure. So basically started with a, uh, career in accounting. I was an auditor forever with KPMG and uh, did that for about 10 years, left uh, when my kids were school age and did a lot of contract work, ended up doing a large project for the Department of Justice. Um, That included some forensic accounting, which I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. I might want to do that and and, and thought about pursuing that that angle, but then had an opportunity to to go do some contract work for a private equity group in Dallas. It was a, one of the larger ones at the time. Okay. And that was supposed to be a three-week project and turned into almost a 10-year project. <laughs> it was great. It was perfect timing, great great setup for me. And then that just, there was a natural transition to J.P. Morgan. So by this time, you know, years have passed, and I've decided I don't want to continue my career um, at J.P. Morgan and kept bumping into a neighborhood friend. We'd raise our kids together, and he was retiring as an investment advisor from one of the big banks. And he said, uh, me and one of the other men in the neighborhood, who was a uh, driller, had had 30 years of drilling experience, said, we're going to put together this mineral fund, and we need a CFO. Why don't you think about, you know, coming coming in um, and helping us out? So that was 2011. I started talking to them, and I joined Resource in 2012. Okay. And um, became a partner in 2018. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The um, forensic accounting, I could probably ask you a million questions on that because I bet- It was interesting. I hate accounting in the in the first place. Yeah. You know, God bless you. Yeah. Super boring to me. I don't know how people are accountants for a living. Yeah, but, I get it. But forensic accounting, um, you know, that that seems like a pretty it cool was, profession. It was very interesting. It was yeah. during the, uh, the RTC days, if you're old enough to remember the, the true first savings and loan banking crisis that we had. That was yeah. late 90s, early- 
I guess mid nineties, but anyway, yeah, it was fascinating. I'd never done anything like it before and really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, you know, when you, um, how did you get the idea? Um, you know, obviously you moved into the private equity world and got exposure, uh, to these assets, but what was the catalyst for, um, this idea of like, Hey, we can actually put together offerings for accredited investors. Sure. So the, the two gentlemen that started the firm, they had actually put together one offering prior to my joining them. So they're the ones that initially came up with the idea, Got you. but also, uh, given their background, you know, they had done some, their homework and they realized that there was one other major player that was kind of winding down his business model at that time. And so there was just an opening and it was mm -hmm. a perfect, um, perfect opportunity for us. Cool. Yeah. So how are y'all's assets structured? You know, pretend I'm an investor and, okay. I, and I come and I say, Hey, you know, I want to cut half a million dollar check into, um, royalties. Are y'all packaging assets together? Is it kind of like, you know, an ETF where I'm buying into a fund and I have exposure to different royalties? Are y'all going in um, you know, buying a package from a, you know, call it XYZ mineral fund and then parsing that out to investors. How does it actually look from the structure? Sure. You're, you're close. So we have four different groups, acquisition groups that we will, um, give them a heads up and say, we are winding down our current offering. Just give us a list of what you've got. They will send that list over there and we will typically take one or two or three positions from, from those lists that they send us. Mm -hmm. Our current offering has, I think, 18 properties in it. Um, 37 wells are producing mm -hmm. 10 plus filings, ducks, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we have a, we have a diff, uh, definite model that we try to follow from offering to offering just because it's working right now. We yeah. have to, we have to adjust and uh, pivot you know, given mod uh, fluctuations in commodity prices and and basins, um, yeah. But we try to be we try to be uh, goal oriented, and and the goal is to return eight to ten percent cash on cash to an investor. Yeah, and the, then go ahead. Okay, and then the other part of that is it's direct title. So um, our offerings are also 1031 compliant, and I mm. don't know if you're familiar with that. So, yeah, so you can do some 1031 exchanges from exactly. other. Really? So you can sell bricks and mortar in 1031 into minerals. Does it have to be like kind or can, if I sold an apartment building, can I 1031 exchange yes. into yes, minerals? Yes, because you're coming out of deeded real estate yeah. into deeded real estate. Interesting. Yeah. And you can come out of minerals and go into minerals. Yeah. So we're a good solution for somebody who's invested in, say, a DST, a multifamily okay. um, uh project and they come out and they want to defer that gain, mm -hmm. we often will take the cash position of their gain. Okay. Um, we have no debt. So that satisfies that piece of the 1031 puzzle. That's interesting. Yeah. When you look at um, oil and gas, I mean, there's a lot of similarities with just regular commercial real estate and sure. a lot of overlap. And I've actually seen this on Twitter. I have a lot of friends in commercial real estate and they really like the idea of investing in oil and gas. You know, the problem is, is that if they were to go do that on their own, they don't have the technical expertise to evaluate an asset or really know what they're getting into, which kind of leads me to a next question. Um, you know, do y'all provide any type of, you know, due diligence or analytical um, information to investors um, to kind of get over that education um, hump 
if you have a family office or a wealth manager come to you and say, we want to invest, I mean, what, what do y'all really provide them? So because we operate the broker-dealer network, which is um, under under the FINRA umbrella, FINRA is a subset of the SEC, Yeah, um, we, act, we do have a lot of due diligence that we have to comply with mm-hmm. um, in order for us to get on a specific uh, broker-dealer platform. Yeah, We also have to have an independent third-party review, and there's a group in Nebraska that um, they're the the gold standard for the oil and gas in real estate as well. Yeah. Um, third party review. So we have a petroleum engineer that is not on staff, but we contract with the same, mm-hmm. same guy that we've been using for years. Um, he gets the list of the, the portfolio properties we're looking at. He does the reserve report on it. So we can get as granular as an investor wants to, to yeah. you know, the information they want to have, check yeah. stubs, all that kind of stuff. I'm not jealous at all um, that y'all are, you know, FINRA regulated as <laughs> what they, I'm always uh, thankful for our businesses that we don't have to deal with uh, broker dealer yeah. compliance because it's, uh, it's definitely, it, it's pretty burdensome. And it so, is, it is burdensome. I think we've got it down to a uh, fine art now. Yeah. So after, you know, what, 12 years. Yeah. We, yeah. We, you learn, you learn over a decade. Yeah, huh? Exactly. <laughs> So what is, um, are, are the minimum investments, do they vary um, based on the deal or is it, how, how does that work? For the retail investor? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it comes down to the uh, FINRA guidelines to be an accredited investor. You, one, two, three boxes you have to check, yeah. but the minimum investment is a hundred grand. Okay. Got yeah. you. And so, um, yeah, you know, accredited investor, I may butch, butcher this a little bit, but you know, have a net worth of two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars minus your your home. Your home. Or, um, I actually think the net worth's a little higher than sorry, that. Sorry, yeah. I think a it's million. a million. Yeah, you have to have two hundred fifty thousand in income. Right, I believe. Um, sorry, told you I'd butcher it. That's so okay. I prefaced it with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do um, you know? I, I'm really interested in these types of models because I actually do think that they solve a pretty big pain point where you have dislocation in capital markets where you have high net worth individuals, wealth managers, family offices around the world that, you know, want to own oil and gas. You have um, oil and gas companies that want to access capital. You have mineral funds that are looking for liquidity. Um, What have been the challenges for y'all in terms of, you know, these types of businesses probably have challenges in terms of distribution. You know, how do you go attract investors to the business? How do you go make sure that you're getting the best deals? I'd love to hear, you know, from your point of view, what's, what's been the most challenging thing for y'all in in building this model? Both of what you just said. Um, Which is a very fair answer. I was like, both of those things are hard things to to do. One's attracting the investor because, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons that I think we've had success in doing this is uh, I think there's two really uh, barriers to entry for, for, John Q. Public on the street. Mm-hmm. One is awareness, mm-hmm. and then the other is access. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard one story this weekend, and I think it's just urban myth that some <laughs> man bought some minerals a couple of years ago off of eBay. Happened to be in the Permian Basin. He's making a killing. I, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea if that's true or not. It, it sounds like a good story, though. <laughs> but if I have money, I want to invest. I'm probably not going to go on eBay and buy minerals, right? Yeah. I'm going to go to somebody who who has demonstrated that they have a working knowledge of the asset. Yeah. So, um. 
So we, I think we do a very good job in educating the investor. We try to keep it simple because really and truly it's, it's pretty basic. You know, you're, like I said, you're uh, buying real estate. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that the oil and gas reserves are under the ground. When those are extracted by somebody else doing the drilling, mm -hmm. then you're going to get paid royalty. Yeah. It's mailbox money. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's actually the true, I don't know if there's a more true, de true definition of mailbox money yeah. than um, minerals. Yeah. Um, you know, even you look at commercial real estate, it's not mailbox money. There's a lot of operational costs that go towards that, but minerals are true. Hey, put money in and yeah. hopefully get money just sent to you on a monthly or quarterly basis. And and you mentioned operational um, costs. There are none. I mean, if you're the mineral owner, you're, you're never going to drill. Uh, you know, you don't have to make any operational decisions, um, which some people might say, well, that's a negative because I want a little bit more control, but that's that's just the, the way it is with minerals. The other thing that we offer um, an investor is a management of the properties. Once they come in as an investor, then we will work with the operators to get everything titled in their name, check their mm -hmm. their ownership interests, make sure they're getting paid correctly. Yeah. Uh, All them, the back office stuff is pretty burdensome. It is. Um, which I imagine is probably a challenge for me all from an operational perspective it that has, you had to work through. Yep, it has been, but we yeah. built it out. Yeah. And and in the last, I'd probably say five years, there's been a lot of automation with yeah. regard to that. And yeah, that's been, yeah, that's yeah. economies probably, of scale. Probably, it's helped a lot. Yeah, makes y'all's life much, much easier. easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, I bet. Um, you know, on that note, if investors, um, you know, they make a placement, how often do they get paid out distributions? Is that on a quarterly basis? We do basis? it quarterly. Okay, that's what I figured. So we yeah. receive their checks directly into our office every month, obviously. Yeah. And then we will aggregate those. Yeah. And um, there's a small management fee that we yeah. charge. We'll take deduct that from the quarterly distribution. Yeah. And then they'll get four distributions. Yeah. You actually keep leading me in all my next questions because I was going to ask how y'all make money. Is it just, you know, taking a certain percentage of um, rake off of the transaction the as the, yeah, the broker yeah. dealer and then a management fee on top of that? Yes. Cool. And the reason that, uh, that we have to do it that way is that in order for it to be 1031 compliant, we can't have any any waterfall in the back end. We can't have any appearance of control with regard to timing of exit. That's part of the whole 1031 code. Yeah. Uh, so we do have to, um, we make our fees on the front end. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't even think about that. So you'll have to make your fees on the front end to be compliant there because essentially, um, I guess they don't want any misaligned incentives or no. control where you could be gaming the system. Exactly. Essentially. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. That's, um, I didn't thought about that. And I wonder, do y'all, do y'all have um, you know, material um, usage of people 1031 exchanging into minerals. Um, I'm just curious, you know, how much overlap there actually is from the commercial real estate crowd because, like I said, there's so many similarities that they they could pick up on it. Is that something that you see a lot of activity? With? We do. So it's, it's very common for uh, a broker to contact our office and say, I've got a client who's just come out of uh, DST. I keep I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's multifamily yeah. investment. Yeah. And, Do you know what DST um, stands for? Delaware Statutory Trust. It's, okay. It's a, a- I hate acronyms because I never know what acronyms stand yeah, for. It's, so. <laughs> it's the way a multifamily uh, real estate investment is structured. Got you. Um, 
akin to a mutual fund, I guess, would be yeah. something like that. But they'll they'll come out of that, and like I said earlier, then they'll want to 1031 into something else. So very often they'll go into another DST, but then will be a complement to, to that money that they're trying to place after they've liquidated out of the first one. Um, you know, for the investor, it offers diversity from bricks and mortar, and it offers um, – Today, it's going to drive up yield a little bit. You know, yeah. we've got interest rate um, pressure on the real estate market. Yeah, so. you know, I was. Um, that's another point that I was going to bring up just with, you know, timing, you know, building this business over the last decade or so. But the interest rate environment right now, you know, yesterday on Twitter, I was just, I don't know if the algorithm was just feeding me th these things, but I saw, you know, foreclosure on 400,000 apartment units here in Houston. Yeah. And Apparently, a lot of these uh, commercial real estate, especially multifamily, since like 2018, have been getting floating rate um, loans, which is kind of crazy to me, um, to be honest. And they're just getting incinerated right now yeah. by high interest rates. And, yeah. So we're, you know, all of a sudden we've become even more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the timing is good for us. Um, you know, kind of stinks when you're filling up your car if you've got to. Re uh, <laughs> renegotiate your loan, but right yeah. now it's good. It's all good for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how, uh, I mean, anytime you have higher price environment in, in oil and gas, I mean, there's there's opportunity and money to make. And I think what's really interesting to me is over on Twitter, you know, you have a big um, community of commercial real estate and finance professionals. And there's a lot of, like, I saw this comment the other day, this guy's never worked in oil and gas in his life. And uh, was just talking about oil and gas investments. He's like, I bet there's way more billionaires from oil and gas investments than just commercial real estate. And, you know, there are two different games, commercial real estates. Um, you know, what I think it's interesting. The, the difference between them is the change in your net asset value. Um, you know, apartment buildings, not going to fluctuate that much over right. six months to a year, whereas oil and gas assets can, um, which is another thing that I'd be interested to hear how y'all deal with, um, you know, say that, and sorry if I'm getting like super in the weeds here, but when y'all have a um, mineral package, do y'all actually acquire that and then sparse it out to your investors or do you go raise the capital first and then acquire the mineral package? A. Okay. So we we will identify the the property that we want to put into a package yeah. and then we do that through a PSA that we pay down to the the group that we're acquiring from or groups that we're acquiring from. Gotcha. So as we bring in investor money, then we'll pay down on the PSA. Understood. Is there ever any sticking points with those sellers or investors? Because, you know, you could always have this floating bid ask, as, especially as commodity price, prices are volatile and all of a sudden the seller is like, oh, hey, no, we don't want to do that. We've the deal. never had that happen, one. Um, two, though, we, we agree on a fixed price prior to putting our offering documents together. Gotcha. Um, just because we have to have, we have to go into the market with a private placement memorandum. Yeah, it can you have be have a something floating stable. price. Yeah, you yeah. have to have something stable that you can actually offer. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's what I was curious, if yeah. you're able to do that and actually have something that you can confidently go out to the market and say, Absolutely. hey, this is the price that, that we're and, paying. And the other thing that we do to, to mitigate um, the volatility of the commodity prices is that we try to keep our offerings within a certain range so, you know, we don't want to get stuck with a uh, large package that we're trying to sell to investors. We The price deck on it will say, you know, $84, and all of a sudden it takes a nosedive to 55 Yeah. and nobody's got any interest. So we, yeah. we really try to keep 
the package, I'm not going to use the word small, but just tight within yeah. a couple of months, you know. Yeah. Is there, a, is there a sweet spot for the total package size? There you know, is. is I'm going to say 10 million. 10 million. That's yeah. what I was kind of my gut was yeah. 10 to 15 we, million. In fact, that. we just closed um, our 19th offering and it was right at 10 million. Oh, nice. And that took us uh, not quite three months. Yeah. 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 That seems like a pretty good spot in the market because yeah, if you went and did, you know, 50 million or a hundred million dollar offering, um, obviously just more work to, to do that. And sucks if you go get 30 million of it, but you, yes. don't, you don't close out the rest of it, right? Yeah. So you and, want to make again, sure you're doing I deals mean, that you can actually close This is real wood. But, yeah, this um, is real wood. This is actually reclaimed bowling Hollywood here. Oh, oh very cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that's not happening. We've never not closed an offering. Yeah. Uh, COVID was slow and ugly, but you know, that was COVID. I don't know. There's not too many companies or people out there that say COVID yeah. weren't ugly and slow unless yeah. you're one of these tech companies that just boosted in <laughs> valuations but they're feeling it now yeah. so they're yeah. getting they're getting their payback right now yeah i think it's um really just interesting to see the you know we talked about the cultural dynamic in terms of sentiment and narrative around the industry but you know the last two years are just kind of like it almost seems like it wasn't reality right, right. i mean just with everything that happened and um, you know, what was, what, what did y'all do in that time frame? I mean, I'm sure y'all had to be a little nervous, you know, 2019 oh, yeah. to 2021, because I mean, it kind of threatens your business model, right? It's like, Hey, are there capital flows into the industry? Um, what, what was y'all's mindset during that time and just operating the business and surviving? Honestly, we we're just glad to keep the doors open. Mm -hmm. Um, 20, I guess 20, 19, late 2019, going into 2020, as I said, when we first started talking, and we had, you know, I call it the psychology of fossil fuels, right? With the, the political headwinds and ESG and Greta and all that. Um, so then add COVID on top of that, um, we did have a large offering. Fundraising just came to a halt. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, fortunately, we were working with groups that you know, they, they got it. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get that package sold. So, so we, um, we were able to get a little bit of flexibility on those PSAs and, yeah. and close out the offering and the investors in those, uh, in that particular offering, they're doing quite well now. Um, and then, and then we learned, um, that's when we decided let's, let's make our offerings about 10 million, mm -hmm. um, try to work within a range, you know, in that price deck that'll help hopefully hold up during, during that offering yeah. period. I think on the so, other yeah. side of the market, you probably also saw like deals were gridlocked too, because oh, no yeah. one wants to sell their deals when it's a clear bottom. They're Absolutely. like, Oh, we're not going to sell when there's $20 oil. Yeah. Um, and so they know that, Hey, if Everyone knows that the industry is cyclical, right? So they're like, I'll just wait. But Hold on. Yeah. So when there's a clear bottom like that, I imagine that um, deals are just hard to come by too and, and pry away from people. So Exactly. Yeah. That's what, um, you know, it's funny because for our business, there's two industries that really got wrecked by COVID, oil and gas and media. And so if you're in a media and oil and gas company, yeah, wrecked. And so we did too. And it's all about just surviving, but you learn a lot of things in those, in those times too. Right. And I think that that's where the best businesses are built or in downturns. And it allows yep. you to like really learn about your business. Just like there, you're like, Hey, our learning, our takeaway was we have an optimal deal size that yep. we're going to focus on. And that allows you to become more efficient yep. and optimize. I'd love to hear a little bit about the back 
office operations because I just imagine, you know, it's funny. Um, you talked about like the control thing and people are like, oh, no, I want control. I went and bought some oil wells in 2018 because I always had this dream of becoming the biggest oil man out of Texas. And then I realized like very quickly that I hated operating oil and gas wells <laughs> and that my skill set wasn't a great value add to that business model. Um, but, you know, when you have uh, minerals and this may be a little bit uh, different since it's minerals and, you know, not non-operated um, assets, which I'm assuming y'all don't do any non-operated working we interests. And so really you only have one direction of payments and it's just distributions. Yeah. You don't have any cash calls or anything like that, Correct. but I'm sure the accounting is still a, a beast to, to kind of wrap your head around just having that many, you know, fractionalized investors and checks going out. And, it's the volume. Yeah. The, the, right now we're at 650 and counting um, investors. Nice. So we get a check in the name of every investor for n not every well, but, you know, from the operator, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. a number of wells on that yeah. particular check. But um, like I said, we've we've worked out, I think, a real very good system. Um I'm lucky in that I've got uh, an individual who she started out as a landman, and then uh, and then ended her her career prior to joining Resource as a division order analyst at XTO. Okay. So she's got land knowledge, she's got title knowledge, and she's got that she can speak division order analyst yeah, ease, say, which I don't. That's and I the, don't uh, want to. That's the intersection of skill set that y'all need to exactly. run the back office. Exactly. Yeah. So. So as long as we've got people in the office like that, plus then I've got CPAs working for us too. So yeah. it's a nice combination and we can, we can turn things around pretty quickly. Yeah. I was going to say your, uh, background in accounting, um, yeah. is very much applicable to running, running the operations. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, um, no, that's awesome that y'all have 650 investors, you know, what's y'all's plan? What's y'all's vision? Um, moving forward, you know, what type of investors, is there an ideal persona, um, that y'all like working with, or are you just like, Hey, whoever wants to cut, <laughs> cut a you check. Know, it's I mean, interesting. There... It's, it's, since we've been doing this since 2011, it's been across the board. Um, I've got investors who come in, you know, multi-million dollar, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Their, uh, net worth. Yeah. Um, I've got people that use us as estate planning. Yeah. Um, I've got people that will come in and tell me, oh, I've, I've had this vast knowledge of oil and gas business and turns out they really don't. But, um, but it's, it's just across the board. Like yeah. I said, you know, this is just such a nice way for people to add petroleum product, uh, to our oil and gas product to their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's not scary once, once they get in there and, and we do a good job of explaining it to them. We have, I think, a a three-minute video on our website that talks specifically about the 1031 aspect mm -hmm. of this. And then we've got another video that talks specifically about what we do. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, it's just not that complicated. Yeah. Just, there's not a lot of other people in the space. And, you know, to I think to, um, to have longevity in the space, you have to uh, have a, re uh, a good reputation. You have to demonstrate that you can uh, handle the back office for, for people and, um, you know, it's about integrity, too, because at the end of the day, you're taking somebody's money. Yeah. You're putting it into a product they don't completely understand sometimes. There's a lot of trust involved. It's a lot of trust involved. Yeah. So Especially in this industry, which has kind of historically been known for snake uh, yeah. oil salesmen and bad actors, yeah. right? I mean, trust is the foundation of yeah. everything, especially when, you know, 
you're dealing with someone that's doing estate planning and wealth preservation. And, um, you know, I see that as like such a honey hole for these types of businesses because it's like someone, I just need to park a million dollars somewhere, um, and get some oil and gas exposure. You know, like I said, they don't want to do that through public equities because you have so much agency risk with the EMPs. Um, you know, you don't know what their operations look look like or what their hedge books look like. You know, like I just want direct commodity exposure. If oil prices goes up, my paychecks go, right. my checks go up. And um, I just know that I'm getting a cut out of every barrel that comes exactly. out of the ground. So, um, yeah, I've actually been kind of kicking myself lately. I was like, I need I need some mineral exposure we so can help you maybe uh maybe your next uh your client um so we can, we can help you yeah so you know where do y'all see taking the business over the next uh you know you've been doing this since 2011 so you know 12 years where do y'all see taking it over the next decade um so i definitely think that we're in a kind of a sweet spot with regard to the commodity price and the cycle like you mentioned yeah. earlier so we will continue doing what we're doing now and then internally you know where do we want to be when we grow up that kind of thing i think it would be nice for us to have some type of renewable asset and i use that term very broadly i yeah. don't know what that would look like yeah um i would, would like for it to be 1031 uh compliant or eligible as well so we're uh, we're kicking around a couple of different ideas yeah uh, it's still new yeah um, i can't figure out if the market's saturated with that that kind of product now i, I don't know where it yeah. is you know but i yeah. think that would be a nice compliment because Again, at the end of the day, this is fossil fuels, right? So mm-hmm. we still get a lot of people say, well, man, if you just had, you know, wind or solar or fill in the blank. You know, the and- one thing that I'm super interested in is mm-hmm. pore space for CO2 injection. Uh-huh. I think that I've been joking around on Twitter with people. I'm like, hey, how do we start up a pore space fund? But um, I had a, uh, I went to a lunch last week where there was a gentleman. He may be kind of the expert in the United States right now. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But his whole presentation was on CO2. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did storage. a um, podcast that's actually coming out this week. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, it'll already be out. You can go check it out. But it was with uh, George P. Bush, uh, the former uh, Texas Land oh, Commissioner. Yeah. And the whole podcast was based around what he was seeing in CO2 um, injection and carbon capture. And that was um, one of the things that we talked about is like super interested in. Yeah space because it's the same exact play as uh minerals essentially where hey if they're injecting in your pore space um you're, you're getting paid out for that and so yeah you know one thing i love about the oil and gas business and carbon sequestration is that it's just this closed loop that you know in minerals over here you get paid for yeah. the oil and then own pore space over here and get paid for <laughs> yeah. injecting back into the ground well, so we walked away from the lunch you know thinking this is something we definitely need to explore yeah yeah absolutely to be continued to be continued. Yep. We'll get you on the show here in a couple of years and we'll get there an update go. and see if y'all moved into those adjacent energy verticals. So if someone's listening to the show and they're interested in investing in minerals, where can they find y'all? Okay. Websites, resourceroyaltyllc.com. Like I said, we've got uh, two videos on there. One tells, I think the title is what we do. And the other one is uh, using minerals in a 1031 exchange. Um, we're located in Dallas. Uh, Happy to talk to anybody. Like any true mineral fund. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's we how you are, know you're legit. <laughs> we are not a broker dealer, so we cannot solicit or sell directly to an investor. You'd have to go through a, uh, an investment rep, but we can help you. If you don't have one, we can help you find somebody. We've got a long list of people we've done business with for a long time. We'd be happy to share that information as well. 
Perfect. So if, if you're interested in investing in minerals or you're a mineral fund that is interested in selling minerals, reach out to Beth at Resource Royalty and have to give a little disclaimer here that the content provided in the show is for educational purposes only and reflects the opinions of Beth Good. We encourage you to seek professional financial counsel for personalized investment advice. Please consult your CPA and attorney for all tax and legal advice. All investments, including minerals, right securities, involve risk. Beth, I appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. Super excited about what y'all are doing and hope uh, the next 10 years is prosperous for y'all. Thank you. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Oh, 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 oh,